as I engage in private conversation with pastors across the country, many admit they have chosen to dig in their heels on homosexuality, not as a result of careful study or reflection of the Bible text, but out of fear. Out of fear do we give ground. Out of loss of numbers do we give ground. Let's pray. Father, we are a peculiar people. We are strangers in this land passing through. And oftentimes, Lord, we don't recognize that, Lord, we might be the last generation. But, Lord, whether we be or the next, Help us, Lord, to fortify the next generation. Help us to build up the next generation. Help us to build up people who will stand for you. Help us, O God, to strengthen those that are here, O God, that they themselves might stand against the fiery darks of the enemy. And that, Lord, we be a people, O God, who will be steadfast and always abounding in the things of the Lord, that we'll always be witnessing, we'll always be doing the things that are right to do, and we will not yield to pressure, we will not yield to the temptation, we will not yield to the demands of society, but, oh God, we will hold fast to your word, and your word will be a light unto our path. Your word will be our foundation, our sure foundation. It will be your word, O God, that we hold to. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us in these days. For Lord, the scripture says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I can't imagine parents who have to be torn between choosing the word of God as being correct and their child who is wayward who is caught up in a gay lifestyle, who is caught up in drugs, who is caught up in womanizing, who is caught up in running after men, who is caught up in some type of sin. And now, Lord, I have to apply the word to their life. Do I lessen the word? Do I bring the point that the word has no standards, no principles, no guidelines? In order to love my child. Father help us O God. In these days. To stand firm. To stand firm to your word. Knowing that Lord your word is able to transform any life. Your word is able O God. To reach into the deepest sin. Your word is able to deliver. Your word is able to set free. Your word is able to rescue. Your word is able, O God, to convict the sinner of their sin. Your word. May we be a people of the book. But may we trust the words of the book. And may we, O God, as a people, be as James says... We be a doer of the word and not hearers only. No matter what's going on around us, what's going on in our families, no matter what's taking place in our life, that, Lord, we will be doers of your word.
If you command it, we do it. And we know, Lord, that you'll never have us, Lord, do what you have not equipped us to carry out. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for ministering to us. May you minister to us this morning. And may you open our eyes as never before. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about that word falling away. Apostate. Apostasy. Depending on where your position is, it also would be how you will also interpret that word. I'm not going to try to interpret that word by a pre-given position per se. But we're just going to look into the word. Understand in Revelations 3.20, after the Lord has talked to the churches, he positions himself in a position as though he is outside the church. In Revelations 3.20. And he is saying, he stands at the door and he's what? Knocking. If you're the head of something, why you got to stand outside knocking? The church activities are going on. There are many churches in the last days, the churches will be filled. And not that churches will be closed. The question is going to be, where is God's word at? See, we can walk in churches today and never hear God's word. We can go into churches today and people are not interested in God's word. We can go in churches and people can have a good time and it's happening more and more. But God's word is never opened. And he says, he stands at the door and he knocketh. And if anybody answer, he will come in unto them and sub with them. But the picture is as though God is outside the church. How does that happen? How does that happen? And that's what we want to explore some today. It is so easy for Satan to set up a atmosphere of rebellion against God's word. That we become a people who every time we hear God's word, we hate it. We rebel against it. Because the word is constantly correcting us or the word is building us up. And we don't want to be built up in the faith. We want to do our thing or we don't want to be corrected. We want to be able to sing about God and say that God's blessing me. Why I stand off from his word. And we have to come to a place to understand that when I fall away from truth, I'm falling away from that which is able to keep me. 
It's not so much falling away from the church. Because I think you in the United States and around place, you're going to see churches filled as never before. But the issue is not that it's going to be the teaching of God's word that's going to be the drawing card. It's going to be something else that have replaced it. Because we do in our community today and in our country today, we're seeing a rebellion against God's word as never before. We see more fights about the Ten Commandments being hanging in, even though they've been hung there for over a hundred years. They got to come down, or this got to happen, or that has to happen. We're hearing more and more where you can't say this, or you can't say that, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. And the whole process is because it's the word of God. We're hearing more and more of lawsuits because of the word of God. This falling away. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Go into verse 3 with me. This is a pre-before time. Remember last week we also said God would reveal himself because in the latter days it's going to take God, as we talked about last week, that he has to reveal himself. God has to do it as never before because just being a witness of God's word, just testifying about God, just saying something about God is not going to be much evidence. God in some magnificent way is going to have to step into people's life and bring them to a reality that he really is. And we're seeing that happen in many Muslim countries. They've heard the word, they've heard the word, but God is revealing himself in some marvelous ways. Jesus is appearing to him. Jesus is talking to him in dreams or in vision. God's doing something in some miraculous way. He says there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, Don't let anyone deceive you. So the first warning is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about the coming of the Lord. Don't be deceived. About end time. Don't be deceived about it. Because this is one of the things that has to happen. But because it's happening, he said, boy, when you see these things happen, look up for your what? Your redemption is drawing nigh. It's not a time to get sad or burdened. It's time to work wise yet day because now you know it's closer to what? Nighttime when no man will work. And he says... Don't be deceived in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. From the time the man of lawlessness is revealed and the rebellion is taking place, the man of lawlessness will not reveal himself until after the rebellion has taken place. Until after the deceptiveness has taken root into the lives of people, that he can stand up and say, I'm God. 
I'm the one. And he comes to that place where he says, there has to be this falling away. Now, some commentaries will tell you, this is not the church. This is not the true believers. Others will tell you, it's people, it's believers whose turn. I'm not going to argue those two points today. The issue is we need to be alert of what's going on around us. You know if you're really saved. But you need to understand something. Something's going to pull at your chain. Something's going to pull at your heart. Something's going to pull at you to try to pull you away. Strong Dictionary. To fall away is a defection from truth. That you're defecting from truth. You're forsaking truth. You no longer will accept the Bible as truth. That's why the article was talking about the Bible is on trial. Because the issue is, is the Bible really 100% God's word without any errors? Did God make a mistake? Did Paul misinterpret? Jesus Christ never spoke about this or that. Jesus spoke very loudly when he said, in the beginning, there was a man and a woman. Didn't have to go any further. It is allowing yourself to forsake truth. The Greek-English lexicon, the falling away from truth. And in Jeremiah 2.19, this is something that takes place. Turn with me to Jeremiah 2.19. Because this is something you have to ask and constantly be looking at yourself. To, to, when you look in God's word, do you still see the amazement of God? Do you still see the wonder of God? Do you still see the magnificence of God? When you look into his word, how do you respond inwardly? What happens to you inwardly? What takes place in you personally? If reading God's word is like reading a beacon journal, you're not there yet. You're not there. Because every time you read God's word, there ought to be an awe. There ought to be something amazing about it. Something that God is showing you anew and afresh or taking you deeper or giving you clearer understanding. There is something about it that it attracts you. So in 2.19, he simply says, let me get there. He says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God. Catch this now. And have no awe of the Lord. That somehow you lost that, the old song used to say, you lost that love appealing. You lost that awe about God and 
his wonderfulness when he's in your presence. You've lost something that is no longer amazing. It no longer excites you. You've lost that. See, between a man and a woman, they should never lose their excitement of one another. That, that, that there's that desire for one another, wanting to be with one another. There is that awe moments with each other. And it says, you've forsaken God, and as you're seeing God, there's no more awe. He's just become normal. He's just become lesser than. There's not this radiance and magnificence and this wonderful God that you serve. You've lost something. You've lost something. It, he goes on. The word means to depart from truth. It is to stand away from. You choose to stand off from the word. You have chosen to do that. You no longer delight in the word of God. I want to illustrate it like this, but let's go to Romans first. Let's go to Romans 10.8. And then I want to give you just a little illustration about food. Because I want you to take the steps that Romans 10.8 is going to give us. He says... Let me get there. But what does it say? The word is where? Near you. That's one. The word is near you. It is in your mouth. That's two. And it's in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Now, he says the word is near you. The word's right there. But guess what? You won't receive it. You won't accept it. You won't take it. But it's there. But you're not going to interact with it. You're not going to participate. You're not going to be a part of it. Then the second step, he says, it's in your mouth. Remember what the Lord says? Taste and see how good I am. Taste and see how good I am. That's your second step. Then he says, boy, if it gets into the mouth, then he said it goes down where? Into the heart. Let's take natural food as an illustration. You can tell me you're hungry. When a person's hungry, as long as it's food and you put it in front of them, they're not going to argue whether if it's a hot dog, hamburger, or steak, or if they don't like it, don't like it. They're going to what? They're just going to eat. But if that food is there and you're starving, but yet you stand off from it and you will not take of it, what's going to be your end result? You're just going to die. That is the same way with Christians. The word is the food of God. And if I do not partake of it, I'm just going to die. Spiritual death. I'm going to die. I'm going to starve spiritually. Because I'm not being fed spiritually. 
Then he says, boy, the food is there. It's right there. It's near you. But you got to pick it up and put it where? In your mouth. Now, I want you to just think about it. You chew it. You chew it. What gave me the illustration of this the other day, I was trying to chew a piece of bacon and couldn't do it and had to, couldn't swallow it. But you're chewing it so it's in the mouth. You got the taste of it. And you can even say in your mind it's good. But you ain't got a taste of it. When does that food really begin to apply itself in your life? After it goes down where? Into the stomach and it disperses it. And he gives you those three steps in the illustration. The word is near you. Then the word is in your mouth. Then it's in your heart. And then it's dispersed. But the word can be just near you and you never take of it. The word can be right there. And yes, you get it in your mouth. And you can quote it. And you're doing this and saying that. and saying, But it's never sunk down. But you're not living it. So we got a lot of people quote it. But they're not living it. And we can see the difference. Because it has to go down into the heart. It has to go into the heart. And when it's in the heart, it begins to affect all the parts of the body. And then you're able to see the outcome of it. Isn't it strange that you can tell a difference between a child that's starving in Africa or somewhere else, that they're starving and what they look like, and a healthy child here that's eaten? Can you see the difference? Spiritually, there's that difference. If we're eating on the Word of God, we even look healthy to the demons. But when you're not eating on the Word of God, you look like that weak, frail to the demons. Guess which one he's going to pick on? Yeah. Hey. And then in Mark 8, 38, he says, not to be ashamed. When you fall away, you're ashamed of God's Word. When you're when you're standing off from something, you're ashamed of it. You don't want to be connected with it. You don't want to be anybody know that you're part of it. So you stand off from it. And the word there means to also stand off. You're standing off from the word of God. It's right there, but you're standing off from it. Yes, you know what to do, but you're not going to do it. Because you don't want folks over here to know that you have digested this and this part of you. And you're abiding in the word. And the word's abiding in you. You stand off. And the reason we stand off from things. Is because somebody has persuaded us. Or we have persuaded ourselves. We're ashamed of that. We're ashamed of that. We don't want to be part of that. And we stand off from it. So the word denotes that area of standing off from Jesus, standing off from the truth. How is it that you can declare you're a Christian and stand off from truth? How can you be a Christian and don't perform truth? How can you say that you're born again and don't engage into the word of God? 
If you're ashamed of it, he says, I'll be ashamed of you. I'll be ashamed of you. Understand the Antichrist's goal is to move us, a society, a church, individuals, away from the word of God. Satan could care less if this church was overflowing. If the word is not preached. Satan will pack this out with a thousand people as long as we don't talk about the word. And he says, and we need to understand that the Antichrist, the lawless one, it says in that text that he's already at work. And he devaluing God's word. He's lessening God's word. That God's word doesn't carry the importance or significance that it ought to carry in our lives. He's lessening it. The activity of Satan is to diminish or lessen the value of God's word in our lives, in the life of the church, in the life of society as a whole. Why? Because it becomes easier for you and I to believe a lie if we devalue God's word, if we lessen it, if we put it down, and we start reading other things and listening to other things. It doesn't hold the preeminence. It doesn't hold first place. Now understand this. God's word is the book in which you judge all other books. It's God's word that you judge all other values and principles and standards. God's word. But when you bring God's word down here and allow society's law, whatever it may be, go up here, now you're in a position that you got to make a decision, just like Peter them said, it's better for me to obey God than what? Than man. And we're coming to that place where those decisions are going to have to be made. Are you going to obey the word or you're going to obey the law? Which one are you going to obey? And God gives us that principle only knowing this. Yes, he tells us to obey the law of the land, but when that law conflicts with his law, now we've got to make a choice. And that's hard. That's difficult. Because man's penalty is going to come right now. Um, the movie. Here I go back in my movies because I said... I, I watch the movies for the principles of things. And I learn from them. The kingdom of God. How many of you have ever seen the movie, The Kingdom of God? It's about the crusades and so forth. And they're fighting about Jerusalem. And this one priest, early in the movie, different parts, he said, we need to kill the infidel. We need to go after the infidel. The Lord to give us victory. We need to do this to the Muslims. We need to do that. All hype about it. But when the Muslims were at the door of Jerusalem, ready to invade, that same priest says, recant and repent later. Recant is to denounce Christ, repent later. And see, we don't have the privilege of changing our positions 
either we're for him or we are uh, against him. We don't have the privilege of changing it. And the whole process here is that we stand firmly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing, yes, Satan is trying to get us to a point where we devalue or lessen the real meaning of God's truth. If you believe what is false, you will rebel against truth. And that's what happens oftentimes in the lives of people. You can share truth with them, but they will rebel against truth. Now, when people fall away from truth, what happens? And, and we want to look at that just for a few minutes. When we rebel against truth, and we walk away from truth, what happens? Number one, the person has to function out of made-up truth. That's why the first warning in that thing is, don't deceive your who? Don't deceive yourself, or don't be deceived. You have to make up some rules for yourself. You have to make up some regulations for yourself. You have to make up some guidelines for yourself. And you go into that self-area of making up your truth... So we come up with this statement. Yes, what's true for me may not be true for who? If it's truth, it's true for all. Period. If it's truth that's going to govern our lives, it's true for all. It's not some truth for some people and another truth for another group of people and this truth for that group of people. Either it's true for all or it's false. Or it's false. And what happens with man is this. They desire to make up their own truth. They desire to make up their own truth. Let me give you an illustration of that. One pastor and I, we were talking. And he was sharing with me. After about being at the church for about eight, nine years. There's one man who is a deacon in the church and up in the church because they was talking about marriage. And he said, man, my wife never been married. We've been together for 16 years. We ain't never been married. What's the problem with that? He made up his own truth. We love each other. We care for each other. What's a piece of paper going to do for us? So he makes up his own truth. And the pastor began to share with him, well, you're living in sin. Because one thing about marriage, even with God, if God was the representative of all the legal system and authority, they were married in the sight of God, Adam and Eve. And then after you leave from Adam and Eve, you see marriage is taking place by the tribal or the group giving witness to that marriage. And we can track marriage right on down that there's always a ceremony within the witnessing of other people of the vows that are taken between two people. 
But yet somehow you're going to say, you don't need all that. We love each other. We get along. We've been married 15, 16 years. It don't matter. God said, sex should not be nowhere but where? In the marriage bed. (laughs) You're in sin. (laughs) But we'll make up our own law. Even just because it's comfortable. Yeah, it may seem right, but it's not right. We make up our own laws. And we have to reason it out among ourselves. If truth sets us free from sin, if truth sets us free from sin, and nothing else can set us free from sin but truth, we reject truth. But by rejecting truth, it only brings about more sin in our lives. Watch that principle at work in the lives of people. When they reject truth, God's truth, and they will not accept God's truth, only thing that happens in their life is a compoundness now of sin. It's sin after sin after sin after sin. It's failure after failure after failure after failure. Why? Because if the truth is what gives me victory in life, and I reject that truth, all I have is failure in life. No matter how hard I try, I can't figure out why I'm not getting ahead. I can't figure out why my life's not changing. I can't figure out why I'm not doing better. Because I'm trying to follow my own truths, my own guidelines, my own principles, my own values, my own standards. And I've rejected God's word. That will build me up. That will keep me from sin. That will safeguard me. And that will be a light unto my path. That will guide me in every endeavor. And it is the word of God that gives me victory over sin. When truth is denied and not received into our lives, you no longer can present yourself. Watch this and look at it in reality of life. You see it in life. When you deny truth and will not live out truth, No longer can you present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. You cannot present yourself an instrument of righteousness in your home before your children. That causes confusion. Because now kids do not know what's right and what's wrong. You cannot present yourself as someone who will teach righteousness. In other words, you're back to telling the kids, do what I say, don't do what I do. And kids follow the example that they see. That whole process is that, boy, what they need to see is a righteous father, a righteous mother. They need to see godly parents loving the Lord Parents struggling with God's word. Not that they're perfect, they're straight, but yet it's God's word they're struggling with. And then performing God's word. That's what needs to be seen in the workplace even. But if you're not 
trusting God's word and you have set God's word off to the side and you're not following God's word, you can't even go into the workplace and be an instrument of righteousness. And you cannot be that instrument of righteousness in society. And God says, you are my witnesses. Paul says, you are my written epistles. But if you have walked away from the word of God, neither can you be a testimony of Jesus Christ, neither can you be that written epistle that Paul talks about, because you cannot manifest the righteousness of God in the environment in which God has placed you. Go to Romans 6.13. Romans 6.13. He says, behind it here, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Do not offer parts of your body to sin. Don't offer your eyes. Don't offer your mouth. Don't offer your ears. Don't offer your feet, your hands to do sin. As instruments of wickedness. But rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of what? Righteousness. But if you reject the word, you cannot be an instrument of righteousness. If you walk away from the word, you can't be an instrument of righteousness. If you're ashamed of God's word, you can't stand and you can't be an instrument of righteousness. Fourthly, It's the word of truth that sets us apart from the sin of this world. Reject the way of truth. And all you have is to accept the way the world then teaches you. The only way that you have to live is by what standards and principles of the world. Where we're deceived at is this, that if I do it my way, the world's supposed to accept it. No, it won't. You have to conform to the way the world says. Now understand. And this is what sometimes confusion steps in. I'm before somebody in authority and the world says lie if it will get you out of it. God says speak the truth. And I'll give you favor and I'll bless you. Who are you going to trust? You see what man is saying that if you don't get out of this thing, boy, I'm going to be tore up. I'm going to have to pay this much fine or I'm going to have to do this or I may have to suffer this or I may have to suffer that. But God says, when you do what is right, I will bless you. That doesn't mean all the consequences may be wiped away. Roger and I, one day, we was coming from Chrysler, and I was tired. We had worked a 12-hour shift. I'm coming down 77, doing about 85 or 90 miles an hour. I'm trying to get home. 
the state trooper, Roger have fun telling this because he can tell it much better than I can. The state trooper boy, we saw the siren go on and everything. I pulled off to the side. And the state trooper said, he came up to the window. He said, what's the rush? I said, I'm trying to get home if I can go to sleep before I go to sleep out here on the road. (laughs) And he said, slow it up. Go ahead home and get a good night's sleep. But I just told him the truth. What was happening with me? I'm trying to get home before I... And I already, already had to have it falling asleep behind the wheel. You know. But, but the thing is, I'm trying to get me home that I can go to sleep. And I just shared the truth. As silly as it sounds. And I'm sure we're going to get a ticket. I'm going to get a good sized ticket. But just shared with him the truth. We just come off 12 hours. I want to get home and get some sleep before I fall asleep out here on the highway. Let God always defend you. He'll do it. He'll do it. And in John 17, 6, the Lord says, The Word separates you from the world. If you're not separated from the world, then you come under the authority of Satan, who is the God of this world. So either you place yourself under the authority of God and his word, or you automatically are placed under the authority of the God of this world. But you're under somebody's authority. And we need to understand that. We're never free of it. When you fall away from truth, all that is left is self-reliance. That when you fall away from God's word, and you're not a doer of God's word, and you're not trusting in God's word, you have relieved God of his responsibility of taking care of you. Now, somebody will think, well, if I have a child and, and that dear child is bad, I, I'm not relieved of my responsibility. To a degree, you are, even by law. You may have to go through a legal process. Once what a lot of kids don't know, once they run away from home, parents are no longer responsible for, for them at that point in which they ran away from home because they are rebelling from the authority that is at home. Therefore, the child can suffer the consequences of a runaway child. The only reason the law holds the parents responsible because the child's not of age where he's working or have money, and the only thing they're looking for the parents to do is pay restitution for the damage that the child may have done. But the parents are not totally responsible for the action of that child per se at that point because the child ran away from their authority and from their parental guidance. When we run away from our parental guidance and our parental authority, in a sense, we release God of being responsible for me because I'm not carrying out His word. 
But when I carry out his word and I abide in his word, God's responsible to clothe me, feed me, give me shelter, protect me, provide for me. Because I'm believing his promises. I'm trusting his word. That's why David could say, I've never seen who forsaken. Don't leave out that word righteous. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Why? Because God is responsible for the righteousness. And he takes care of his own. And those who are not ashamed of him. And those who do not deny him. He takes care of them. Now, when you begin to lean on your own understanding, that's what Proverbs 3, 5 tells us, we're on shaky ground. And he tells us, don't lean on our own understanding. In a test of time, you should be able to see if your so-called principle, standard, or guideline really works. God says, look back at the ancient ones. It works. Why? My word doesn't change. My promises doesn't change. It will never take the place of God's word. God's word is what gives us victory. God's word is what sustains us. You're not going to gather victory in your own truths, in your own standards, in your own principles, in your own guidelines. All that is there is failure, 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 failure. It will not remove your sadness. When you deny God's truth and think you're going to make yourself happy with something else out here, only thing you're doing is bringing on more misery and more sadness. Some of these principles you can look at in real life and see. You can see people who have not come under the authority of God's word and doing their thing and all you see is more sadness and sadness. As much as Alvis Presley had, he was a sad individual. As much as Richard Pryor had, he was a sad individual. See, the mistake we make is this. Money makes us happy and it doesn't. Money can make us sad. Look at all the pro football players, basketball players who had millions and wound up broke. Sad. Look how many marriages they go through. Sad. Look how many children they father across the United States. Sad. Just look at their life. Sadness, 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 unhappiness, unhappiness. Because I'm going to do my thing rather than coming under the truth of the living God. Go with me to Psalms 127. For this is true. Psalms 127. Did anybody change that clock? Oh, okay. I I do want to make sure. Boy, I'm doing great here. I'm going to have to give myself a pat on the back. I tell you. Boy, I thought it was 10 after 1. Here's only 10 after 12. Well, let's keep it running here. All right. Psalms 127. 
And, and, and look what the Lord says here. And, and it's, it's very true. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor how? Yeah. Unless the Lord builds your family, unless the Lord builds your life, unless the Lord builds your success story, unless the Lord builds your work ethics, unless the Lord builds you, all that you do is what? You're laboring in vain. You're like spinning the tires going nowhere. But he says when the Lord builds it, there's victory. When the Lord builds it, there's success. When the Lord builds it, there's happiness and joy. When the Lord builds it, there's that peace and contentment. When the Lord builds the house. And he simply says, boy, when the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman, Stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he what? See, I can lay down and rest. I know the one who keeps me, for he never slumbers nor sleep. And in 1 Corinthians 18, he said, well, where's the wise man? Where's the wisdom of this world? You can't surpass God's wisdom and what God wants to give to you. When you fall away, you are mocking God. You need to understand that. When, you're, when, when, when you fall away from God's truth, when, you, when people fall away from the truth, they're really mocking God. And what they're saying, God, you're a liar. And what they begin to do is to try to make things work out here and don't even know they have something to compare it with. Because Satan has blocked it. But when you mock and you laugh at God's word and you say you can do better on your own without God's word, God is not going to be mocked. Hey, God's going to show you that you can't do it. <laughs> and understand this little principle also. God has a way of blocking everything you try to do. God has a way of blocking it. God has a way of destroying. God is more than able. And you need to understand that when you fall away from God's word... You turn from God's word. You rebel against God's word. You stand off from God's word. You have chosen to rebel against God. You made that decision. That's the choice that you've made at that moment, at that time. See, you can't walk away from something you don't know nothing about. You can't leave something that you've never been introduced to. That's why we talked about that word that is what? It's near you. It's right there. It got into your mouth. But you spit it out. 
You didn't want to receive it. You rejected it. And it's talking about a culture of people, not just a church. It's talking about a whole country society of people who have had the privilege of hearing God's word on the radio, TV, in the church, all over, but have chosen to walk away from it. To deny it. To not accept its authority or its rule over their life. He says, it's rebellion. It is as witchcraft. Stay with me in thought here for a moment. What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is dependent upon some type of spell or curse in which you have to speak certain words and believe in witchcraft. So when witchcraft, a warlock or a witch is going to cast a spell, they have to speak words. Now, who has taught them those words? It says the demons will teach in Timothy. So what we're still using now is words. But we've chosen to believe the words of a demon rather than the words of God. Because which is always casting a spell or casting a curse. But if you cast a spell or a curse, there has to be words that are spoken. And you're trusting in the power of those words to come to pass and do. Even Voodoo and Voodoo priests, they have to proclaim certain words. But then demons have to act behind those words. What we don't understand, when God's word is spoken by us, and we believe God's word. There are angels behind that word. There is the power of the Holy Spirit behind that word. There is God Almighty behind those words. But it's the word. Whose word will you believe? And witchcraft, it will cast its spells, it will cast its curses, it will do its stuff, but its words from another world, from another authority, another source, but not of God. Go with me to Numbers 23 real quick. Boy, that ten minutes went fast. Numbers 23. And uh, go to verse 11. Then we're going to close out with the next little section. Twenty-three, eleven. he says. This is the story between Baal and Balak. And Balak has summoned Baal to come and curse the Israelites. Because there are many. And they're coming into his land. And says, Balak said to Baal, What have you done to me? I brought you 
to curse my enemy. But you have done nothing but bless them. He had to bring somebody else who had been taught in this area of demonicness to come and curse Israel. Now, don't get bailing with somebody who's believing in God. Understand this, God controls every demon too. Demon can only do what God allows. Can go no further. Satan can do no more than what God allows. And he said, I brought you to curse these people. And you're blessing those people. He said, I can't do no more than what God put in my mouth. Come on over into verse 19 through 20 with me. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a man, nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. And guess what? I cannot change it. Who God has blessed, Satan can't change it. And when you stay in the truth, and you abide in the Word, and you have the favor of God, Satan can't change that. Go to Psalms 109. Listen to what God says here. You've got to give God a sense of humor in this. Psalms 109. And verse 28. He says, they may curse or try to cast their spells, but he says, but you will bless. (laughs) When they attack, they will be put to shame. I'm standing in God's word. When Satan tried to attack, he said, well, they're going to be put to shame. Why? I'm not moving. What am I doing? I'm abounding in the things of the Lord. I'm not getting my eyes off Jesus to put my eyes on what they're trying to do to me because God's going to take care of that. I'm going to keep my eyes on what Jesus has given unto me. He says, fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Fix them. And don't be moved by what's going on around you. Don't be moved. And he says, they may curse, but you just keep on blessing. Closing out. When you fall away, you fight against the spirit of truth. Now, if you don't pick up anything else, pick this up with me. Take it home and look at it. Because I think it's a building block and it's a pattern. In John 16, 13, he calls the Spirit the Spirit of Truth. We all say that the Spirit is the author of God's Word. And we believe that, according to Peter. And it says that it is the Spirit of Truth. In Romans 8, 
in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, especially in Romans 8, it entitles the spirit as the spirit of life. Now I want you to put something together. You cannot have eternal life. You cannot have life without God's word. And if it is the Spirit of God that imparts life, he only has one instrument to impart that life through. It is called the Word of God. Nothing else. The Word of God. Here is the Spirit of truth applying that truth that gives forth life, eternal life, through the truth of the living God. The Holy Spirit gives truth. What is truth? God's Word. He gives light that comes forth then from that Word. Therefore, He is the Spirit of life because He is the giver of the truth of life. And when you cause the Spirit to be quenched in your life, You're dimming your own light. When you forsake the word of God and turn from it, what is it that the Holy Spirit can pick up and use at that point to give you life? If just the word itself is a living word and gives you life and you turn from that, Where are you going to receive life from? Now, I want to add this last part and we're done. Go to 1 John. I'm not, uh, St. John, chapter 1. And this is an area that I think today that people today are missing because they try to separate it. You cannot separate the spirit of life from the spirit of truth, but the spirit cannot give you life without you consenting to the truth of God and admitting the truth of God and living in the truth of God, abiding in the truth of God. And when you abide in the truth of God, then the Holy Spirit gives you that spiritual life. He just multiplies that life. He enriches that life. Why? Because you're adhering to the word of God. Then he says this here. And this is something that you have to look at and you have to believe it and see it in people's life. You cannot separate grace and truth. Understand now, grace is this what we say it is and what the meaning says, God's favor. God's favor on your life. God's blessings in your life because of grace. Grace and truth, he, they're, they're really tied together. As one. You cannot have grace without truth. When you receive the truth, you receive God's grace. When you receive the truth, God's word, you receive God's favor and his blessings. When you trust God's word, 
God becomes obligated to you to fulfill whatever he has promised to you. When you turn from truth, you lose the favor of God. When you turn from truth, you lose the grace of God and the blessings of God. So we look at some people's lives and they talk about, I'm blessed. I don't want to be blessed like you're blessed. The way you live and what you live and what's going on in your life, no, I don't want to be blessed like that. But we have coined that little saying. Everybody said, now, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And you look at the life and you say, where's God's favor at in that life? What is God doing in that life? That that person would believe that they're really blessed by God. Well, somebody said, I got up this morning. The blessing is if you got up this morning and you really discovered eternal life in Jesus Christ, that's the blessing. And not just that you got up. And he ties those two things together. And if Satan can get you to turn or rebel against truth, then you have just lost the one person who is on your side. For if God be for me, who can be against me? We still don't believe. Me and God, we're the majority. And if God's on my side, who's going to defeat me? And God has already promised me, don't worry about those who trouble you, because if they trouble you, I'll get on their case. In Thessalonians, he tells us that. Those who trouble you, he will trouble them. But when you walk away from truth, you lose the favor of God on your life. And Satan is out to deceive us with the thought that I can do this all by myself. I don't really need God. He's trying to deceive us in this. Go ahead and believe in God. But leave his word alone. And we got a lot of people. Yeah, I believe in God. Ask me where the book of Genesis is at. I believe in God. Tell me something about the Lord. I believe in God. Tell me when, when you were saved. I was baptized right there. You know there wasn't one. I was, I'm saved. Well, I, I attended that church with grandma. Until salvation comes down to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not baptism. It's not attending a church. It's not what grandma prayed over you. It's you knowing for yourself that you have followed what scripture said. You have confessed with your mouth and you have believed in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And you have accepted him for yourself. You have accepted him for yourself. Don't be deceived. The day of the Lord will not come until this falling away takes place. But recognize the signs of the falling away. 
Recognize what can take place, what Satan will be about doing. Recognize it that you can even warn others. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and I abide in you, is he abiding? Is his word abiding? Do you know him for yourself? Do you really know the Lord for yourself? Are you at a point in your life that, as Scripture says, I am fully persuaded. I'm fully persuaded. Amen? I'm fully persuaded. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you even warn us, O God, that in these latter days, There will come that time of deception and there will